Blog Talk Radio. Welcome back to the show. It is the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network, WCOM in Carborough, North Carolina. Thanks to all of us and all of you listening. And six four six nine two nine zero one three zero, the number to get in touch with us. Press one to get on the line. Questions, comments, the chat room is open and so is Facebook Live at Pad Nation. You can hit us up at LA Bachelor or at um, Pad Nation to, to watch and listen live. And of course, uh, on Pad Nation 2 at Twitter, uh, Instagram, ask questions and uh, we'll be happy to answer those for you. Want to go to my guest? He is the senior pastor at Maximizing Life Family Worship Center in Greensboro, North Carolina. You heard the the uh, promo, uh, the Life Cafe that airs every Saturday, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on our, our website, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. He is Pastor Omar Rojas. And, and Pastor Rojas, uh, I hope all is well with you. Thank you for joining us and hope all you and your family and your uh, your church is doing well, sir. Yes, sir. All is well. Everybody's safe and, and doing great. Thank that's thank God for that, sir. I you know I always want to have you on to, to ask you the tough questions, <laughs> and okay. you know I, I think you know you're very very well equipped to to handle those and the, those discussions. And you know uh, a group of us that started talking about you know when you have studies and and Bible studies and things and you have these conversations, you you know people. Uh, have these discussions, not to tear anyone down, but, uh, you know, in a lot of cases to challenge ourselves. The word is the word, right? But to challenge ourselves. And one of the conversations was once saved, always saved. Uh, And, you know, just in doing the research, you know better than I, sir, um, you know, about the scriptures that can refer to, you know, for or against believe or not believe. I mean, you can go to Romans 8. You know, talking about there is therefore no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You can go to Romans 8. You can go to Romans a lot, Ephesians, you know, oh, yeah. uh, John, Second Timothy. There are a lot of reasons to believe that if you are saved, you're always saved. And it has nothing to do with um, uh, a, a sort of falling out with God, if you will. You have that salvation, but more so maybe backsliding. So to, to talk about the scripture that, the, well, what you believe based on the word that you understand and why you believe in, and, and those scriptures that kind of line up with it. Right. So um, I, I guess I am, uh, I guess maybe part of the new age person, believer. I'm not sure how, how exactly to say that. Um, right. But I, I, I do believe, um, uh, like, you know, like the Bible says in Romans, uh, you know, 10 and 9, you know, if, if you believe, if you believe and confess, you know, then, then you shall be saved. Um, so I, I do believe, I guess, uh, for uh, lack of better terms, once saved, always saved, um, because it is a matter of belief and confession. Um, you know, even John you know, 316, uh, super familiar passage of scripture, right? But, you know, it, it right. talks about, you know, if we believe and then we shall not perish. 
Um, so there's, uh, as you were saying, there's probably, uh, not literally, but there's a, a million scriptures that, you know, would, would uh, talk about, you know, the, the belief and having eternal life. Um, and so, you know, I, I guess to say <laughs> um, it's more so really, uh, wow. I guess I would challenge uh, a belief, uh, you know, whether you really truly, whether a person would, you know, believe uh, truly, um, you know, on him, you know, because I guess the the, the biggest argument uh, would be, you know, well, if I believe, if I confess with my mouth, you know, the Lord Jesus and I'm saved, uh, Romans 10 and 9, then, you know, then I can just, you know, live whatever life and because I confess, you know, and, and, and I, I believe in, that I'm saved, well, you know, that's, you know, that sounds right, you know, but when, you, like, like you know, good old cliche, you know, when you know better, you do better. Right. You know, so when you really do believe, then, then, then you do things differently. You don't continue to do the same things when you really believe something. So, so just to be clear, you you believe once saved, always saved, but but not practicing, not trying to, not um, uh, continuing to to deliberately live in sin. Is that what you're saying, or right. am I getting it right. wrong? Okay, right. Yeah, I know I was jumping around. Okay, a bit. <laughs> no, that's fine. That's fine. Um, it's just I wanted to make sure I was clear on what you're saying because you know one of the one of the the issues that uh, non-believers have uh, a pastor, it seems, is that they would say, they would say, and even wow. some scholars that research say that sometimes that the Bible can be can seem sort of contradictory. I mean, for mm-hmm. all the scriptures that that refer to once save, always save, in that belief, you know, what about the passages that seem to refer to a person losing salvation? Uh, uh, I mean, First Corinthians three twelve and Hebrews say refers to the potential loss, you know, and believers in the the afterlife. I mean, thirteen I think says if I, if I could pull it up, said he himself would be saved, but only as through fire. Um, you know, First Corinthians three fourteen says every believer will enter to heaven. The difference is the context regarding that is the believer if they would receive it or not. Hebrews six talks about uh, uh, different interpretations of that. So, what do you say to those who could grab some scriptures and say, well, you know, that's not necessarily true, and here's why? Which is always seems to be uh, sort of a way that people kind of want to. I think use, in my opinion, an excuse not to believe anyway, but there are people who will go through the scriptures and say, no, pastor, I understand, but no, it's this, because here's why they go to different scriptures. Right. And, 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 uh, you know, we can, we can, I literally can jump on the other side of the fence and, (laughs) and um, argue against myself. (laughs) You know what I mean? Wow. Um, You know, at, at, at the end of the day, you know, it's, it's, it's really about our, our personal conviction, you know, our, our personal relationship with God. Um, I, I think, you know, in the church, outside of the church, we, um, 
you know, we 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 debate and argue about about you know things where it just causes this big great you know separation and uh, you know we have to be really really mindful of that. Um, but I again could uh, you know hate to use this word, but I could counter those scriptures with with scriptures as well. Um, you know with you know scriptures that will will say well hey. You know, well, if you uh, again, there's a whole lot in Romans. You know, you're saying, you know, you've given some in Romans three, and we got, like you said, Romans eight. Therefore, now there's, you know, no condemnation in sin. Which my personal uh, uh, way of saying that is, I did it, but I didn't do it. Um, <laughs> uh, you mm. know, again, Romans ten, Romans ten and eight. Um, but then Paul, you know, talks about these, um, like in Romans five, where he talks about how you know, sin increases, but grace increases even the more. Uh, but then in, in Romans six and six and one, because it's like, okay, well, he says sin increases, but grace will increase. So that means I can do what I want, and then God's grace is, you know, as 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 Paul would say, you know, his, his grace is sufficient. It'll, it'll it'll cover sin absolutely. You know, um, you know, but uh, you know, like Romans six and one. Um, yeah, I, I, I'm just looking at it. It says, well, what shall we say right. to all this? You know, should we continue in sin and practice sin as a habit so that God's gift of grace may increase and overflow? Verse 2, certainly not. How can we? The very ones who died to sin continue to live it, uh, live in it any longer. Or are we ignorant of the fact that all of us have been baptized in, in uh, Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We have therefore been buried with him through baptism into death so that Jesus as, Jesus as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory and power of the Father. Uh, we too might walk habitually in newness of life. Um, you know, again, when when I when I confess and I believe, then I'm moving away from I am moving away essentially from that intentional stuff. You know, when I'm just, you know, I'm just intentionally going. I'm just going. You know what? I believe Jesus is, you know, he's my Lord and Savior. He got up on the third day, you know, so on and so forth. Um, you know, we confess that with our mouth and and I believe it, but I'm going to intentionally continue to live my life. Well, then, again, as I said in the beginning, I have to challenge my belief because when I believe it, I don't want to do anything that will, uh, you know, make his work on the cross in vain, if that makes sense. Absolutely, and I, I guess too, uh, uh, Pastor. Again, I, I leave all the the uh, the biblical and uh, the pastoral stuff to you. But it almost sounds like you're saying, "Once saved, always saved." For some, is a crutch because if they feel that, then and some right, they think because they're mm-hmm. saved, then it almost gives them license in their mind. Right. That it's okay to sin, or if I said, well, you know, I'm saved anyway, so it's okay. And no, it's not, you know, because uh, at the end of the day, as I was just saying, you know, we're, we're making his work on, on on the cross, you know, almost in vain, you know. Um, right. You know, it's like, excuse me, with any relationship, um, you know, with you know, with a loved one, we, we're doing our very best to make sure that we're not, you know, violating, you know, you know, 
say a husband and wife or whatever, we're just putting that, you know, type of relationship, relationship out there. Um, you know, we're doing our very best to make sure that we're not violating that relationship. Um, you know, so again, Hey, I'm, I'm going to, you know, whatever that person needs, you know, for me to trust them, I'm willing to do that because I want, I want to be in this relationship. And so, you know, we do what we, you know, what's necessary to, to, to make sure that that other person is pleased with us. So, you know, when I really believe and, and, and really have entered into a relationship with God, then, then I am going to, you know, make the necessary changes. Does that mean I'm not going to, you know, mess up? No, that doesn't mean that. Uh, but it also means that I, I know how to go to that person. I know how to go to God and say, hey, God, I messed up, you know, uh, you know, uh, you know, for, for, um, not really knowing how to put it, but, you know, I won't do it again. I'm, I'm basically just saying repent. You know, I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to turn away from it because I know how this makes you feel, and it makes me feel some kind of way, making you feel bad. So I'm not going to do that. You know, so, again, because like the Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short, you know, but I'm acknowledging and say, hey, God, I messed up. I'm not going to do this again. You forgive me. Mm-hmm. I won't do this. If you're just joining us, we're talking to Pastor Omar Rojas, a pastor at Maximizing Life Family Worship Center in Greensboro, North Carolina. Uh, also the host uh, or the, the broadcast, the Life Cafe broadcast that airs on our website, our, our uh, network, of thebachelornews.airtime.pro on Saturdays at 5 p.m. Eastern. A very, very good uh, program uh, you, you do need to uh, check out. Uh, pastor Rojas, two, two things. Um, is it if if once save always save uh, is is salvation? I'm gonna get back to that in a second. Um, but people, I mean, like you said, we all fall short, so we're sinners, you know, by birth, but saved by grace. But right. if if they do deliberately sin, then are they really saved? Because again, I don't know. You know better than I. Right. Uh, and I don't want to feel like people think I'm preaching or anything, but from what my understanding is, is that if, you know, you're convicted and that conviction is supposed to be the Holy Spirit. So if you're convicted, you still right. sin. Are you really, are you really saved? Right. Uh, well, yeah, you know, it's, it's where the whole intention comes. You know what I mean? Um, am, am I just intentionally doing it? You know, and, and that kind of goes back to that, you know, Romans, uh, it's eight and one. You said, and of course, I, I kind of gave my own <laughs> uh, interpretation of it. I did it, but I didn't do it. You know, right. um, you know that's where that comes in. Where you know, I messed up, but I'm not going to let that keep me. I'm a, I'm gonna keep you know pushing forward. God, right? Forgive me. I'm you know asking for your forgiveness, and I believe His grace you know is is sufficient to cover what it is. But now, when I continue to you know when I'm intentionally okay, I just keep doing this. Then, then, well, now I got a question whether you, you know, you know, do I really love God or do I really believe? Because I keep doing, you know, the, the same thing over and over again. So, you know, again, the question is, is, you know, where's my intent? You know, where, where really is my belief? 
Is struggle part of that, though? It, I mean, it, you know, if there's someone has an addiction, whatever the addiction is, or, you know, they're trying to do right, but they just they just can't get right. to where they with, need to be, with, and it, that same issue or s- problem seems to keep co- Does that is that sort of like, using my terms, is that sort of points for towards God? Like, I'm trying, Lord, I'm trying, that kind of thing. Right, but... but. <laughs> And and I don't want to sound like uh, super insensitive, but you know, uh, how how are we trying? You know, right? Um, are are we really going through the the, the process of trying? Um, you know, because uh, part of trying means you know what I'm, you know, especially with struggle because I you know I've struggled with things and and even struggle with things now, um, but you know, in in, in my purposely, you know, on purpose, trying to do better? Like, am I eliminating all of these things that I can't, that I have to out of my life so that I'm really putting forth a a valiant, a valiant effort, you know, because when I'm putting forth that valiant effort, that's when, you know, again, I believe, you know, that, that, that's when his grace comes to, 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 to really help us because we put forth that, that effort. You know, it's like Paul, you know, when, when it talks about um, um, where, he, you know, he says, I, I besought the Lord three, thrice, three times, you know, about this, this thorn in my side, this thorn in my flesh. And you know, he right. talks about it being this messenger of Satan sent to, sent to bust at me, and, you know, and, and then, you know, he has this, conversation with God and 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 he finds out well you know well when I'm I'm weak I'm really strong why because of his grace so he goes on to say his grace is sufficient so knowing that in his weak that God's strength is available he's now saying okay when I'm weak I'm knowing his strength is available I'm going to tap into it and his and, and tapping into his you know God's grace or his strength is helping me to overcome you know, this struggle is helping me to overcome in that weak moment. Not to say that I might not have that thing to my, my mouth or, or, you know, have that thing in my hand. Not saying that it might not hit my hand or, you know, or, or it's not going to hit my mouth, but I, I, I won't follow all the way through. Mm. If you're just joining us, talking with Pastor Omar Rojas here, um, a senior pastor at Maximizing Life Family Worship, and of course, the overseer. Uh, of the Life Cafe broadcast that airs on Saturdays, 5 p.m. at the bachelornews.airtime.pro uh, broadcast, 5 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, uh, Pastor, so when you look at the, the grace and being saved, how can a believer have assurance of salvation? I mean, you know, it seems as though the Bible commands Christians to, we have to take a look at ourselves and just to ensure, I guess, truly in our faith, right? So, um, and right. do sort of a, uh, we're not being self-deceived, thinking that we are. Yeah, and so, yeah. Obviously, you you know, the confessing with your, um, believe it, confessing with your mouth, believing your heart, and you're saved. But, but yeah. self-determination, uh, um, if you are, even Paul said, examine yourselves, right? So, yeah. so how how do people have assurances with everything that you said of that self salvation, it's like a sort of like a checklist, if you will. <laughs> right. Uh, listen, I, 
I'll, you know, I'll preach this in a minute. We have to, you know, take that, that, that self inventory. We have to, you know, look at our lives, uh, you know, circumspectly, um, you know, to, to make sure that we are, you know, to a certain degree, you know, dotting every I and, and, and crossing every T, if you will. Um, but, you know, how, how do I have the insur- uh, assurance, rather, um, is, is, you know, everything is always going to be word-based. So I got to go to the word. But again, that all comes with my belief. So, you know, you know, there's so many things that, well, it's not so many, but there's a few things that, that you know, impact our, you know, belief systems. We have, uh, you know, credible others, people we trust, uh, you know, repetitious information um, and, and even experiences. Um, so these are the things that, that shape and mold our, you know, our belief system. And so, uh, you know, if, if we're really going to, uh, you know, again, shape and mold it, well, then I need to, you know, as we said, credible others, I need to get around people that, <laughs> you know, that, that believe like I believe, you know, right. uh, to, to help fortify my belief, uh, you know, you know, repetitious information. So I'm going to get into the word you know, and, and, and look at scriptures, you know, repeatedly like John three sixteen, um, you know, like, uh, you know, first John five 13, I'm just kind of throwing these out here. Uh, sure. Romans five 20, uh, Jude one 24, he says he's able to keep us from stumbling from falling. Uh, uh, John 10, uh, 10, uh, verse 28, where he talks about no one can snatch us out of God's hand. Um, Philippians 1 and 6, he who begun a good work in us will complete it to the day of salvation. Um, you know, and, and we could continue to go on, but we have to, uh, you know, constantly, you know, put those scriptures, put that word of God in us because it's going to, uh, again, help to shape and mold and, uh, and, and shape and mold our belief system. So the more that I, I get it in me, the more I believe it, you know, because it's, again, just repetitious uh, information. Mm. You know, getting some feedback from people that um, he didn't um, say he didn't say the scripture. I don't think him. I'm just kind of mm-hmm. uh, uh, reading it, and he uh, says uh, the the emailer says a person who has done um, uh, Acts sixteen thirty one. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Joel two thirty two, a person who has done this born is born again. John three three he says is regenerated by the Holy Spirit. John three five, right. so that they no longer reject God's ways. It's it's just it it seems as though and I guess go back to just in closing it it it, it really sounds like in um, what you're saying is once saved always saved, but doing mm-hmm. that that self examination and what your intentions are. Um, right. Really having that, I guess that conviction. You, we call it the Holy Spirit, and and it, and it's a daily, a daily walk, right? So if you're right. in, embedded, if you're grounded into the Scripture, then I think that helps. But I, I, I think someone said emailed it. Well, if you teach it the wrong thing, I'll leave you with this, and you can comment on this. Someone said that. Uh, well, if if a pastor is, is um, you know, teaching the wrong thing, then they have blood on their hands. And uh-huh. I don't know how you respond to that because, it, I mean, it, again, I, I would think, Pastor, again, you're the pastor. If you're grounded in the word, you 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 know, and you can rebuke that because you know that's not right. If you're 
studying the word. So I don't know. I mean, I guess if you're, if, if a pastor is, you know, blatantly teaching his congregation the wrong thing, right. um, right. then that's right. blood of his, but go ahead. Absolutely. Because we do have, uh, we do have, you know, those, you know, pastors, preachers, or, you know, whatever title we want to give it today, um, that, that, that usurp their authority and teach, uh, their own doctrine, you know, uh, just in order to get people to to, to follow them, you know, um, and so so yeah, those are those are the you know the false teachers, um, and but yeah, absolutely, we there there are are excuse me false teachers among us, and you know as as the emailer said, um, you know teaching the wrong thing will will definitely you know put blood on a on a on a false teacher's hands, and so you know all the more reason why, you know, as, as pastors, you know, leaders in the church, whatever, uh, you know, that, that, you know, that we make sure that we study to show ourselves approved, a uh, work Correct. that needed not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. And when we, when we look at the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we get understanding of the Bible and, and, and have a uh, personal relationship with God, you know, we'll find out, you know, that, that, you know, when I believe and confess, I'm saved. And, 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 and it's just that when I believe and confess, um, part, you know, again, part of the problem is is we have a lot of people that are just confessing and not believing. And so that's why we can live our lives Mm. haphazardly because we're just confessing and not believing, you Mm. know? Oh, well, I said it. Yeah, you said it, but did you really believe it? Because when you believe it, you'll make a change. And you'll live your life accordingly. Gotcha. Uh, right. I, I got another. The conviction comes. Right. I got uh, my other guests on the line, but I do want to ask you this before you go. Well, I just want you to comment on it that I guess to your point when we were talking about false prophets and things, um, mm-hmm. uh, the emailer, e- emailer Wayne in Atlanta said, you know, um, church gets a bad rap when you have pastors doing illegal things or sex scandals, uh, et cetera. Um, I mean, you can comment on that if you, if you like, sir. It's, it's very true. Um, and, and, and it's unfortunate. And so we have a lot of people that are, um, you know, don't, don't trust the church or, or, you know, let me, let me rephrase that. Uh, we have a lot of people with, you know, quote unquote, you know, church hurt, you know, um, right. And so, you know, sure. we, we got to be really careful, you know, you know, what we call hurt, you know, um, because, you know, if I, if I, <laughs> this may sound funny, it may not. Um, if I slip and fall at Walmart, does that mean I got Walmart hurt? Right. Or you just hurt. Um, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm just, I just slipped and fell. And so right. I don't blame where I was, you know, for the reason why I got hurt. Um, you know, I, 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 I slipped and fell because maybe there was something on the floor or, or, you know, maybe I didn't watch my step, you know, but I don't, you know, so, you know, I, I, I gotta be mindful. I, I might've got hurt at the church, but it was, uh, and I'm talking about physically, um, you right. know, I, I might've got hurt at the church, but it was a person at the church. And I know somebody's going to say, well, you know, we are the church. You're, you're, you're absolutely right. We, we do make up the church. Uh, but when we're talking about church hurt, we're talking about where it was, and we and 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 we stopped going to the place because it happened at the church, you know. So so, you know, we're gonna keep it where it is. You know, I got hurt right. by a immature person at the church. 
Right. Um, and so that's like a whole different topic for another day, possibly. Uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And, and or, you know, it might have just it probably maybe wasn't the church for you. It could have, you know, I mean, again, Absolutely. that that I believe that's all that's all in, in you know, that that whole walk. I mean, you're just going to be in a place you need to be, you know, so maybe this wasn't for that person. But uh, I, I I think that um, a lot of people uh, com- complain for the sake of complaining. Uh, that's right. our, our nature. That's our nature. Right. You know, it's, it's the reason why reality TV works, because people like to see other people miserable. I mean, to be honest right. about it. So, right about it. you know, people are looking right. for stuff to say. Uh, pastor uh, Omar Rojas, of course, he is the uh, senior pastor at Maximizing Life Family Worship Center in Greensboro, North Carolina, the good city of Greensboro. He still lives there. Uh, and, of course, the Life Cafe broadcast that airs Saturdays uh, at 5 p.m. Eastern on our website. You have to listen. Always a good message uh, and a, a very relaxed atmosphere. Uh, it's at thebachelornews.airtime.pro, thebachelornews.airtime.pro. Pastor, anything you want to, final thing you want to say, sir? Uh, no, sir. No, sir. Uh, uh, I'm just glad. Uh, uh, thank you for the invite. Always a pleasure to be uh, on with you tackling uh, some, some pretty tough subjects, it seems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I always say that. Well, I have a lot of respect for you, sir. And so that's why we want you on the, the tough pastors with the tough tough topics. That's what we like to do. So <laughs> thank you so much, sir. God bless. And uh, we'll talk with you soon and uh, look forward to your broadcast this uh, coming Saturday. Yes, sir. Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Absolutely.
Back to the show. It's the Bachelor News Radio Show. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to our guests uh, before six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with us. Press one to get on the line. Chat room is on is open um, at blogtalkradio.com forward slash la bachelor. If you want to um, make your thoughts known there uh, on the phone line as well as the number I just gave you. Uh, Facebook is live as well on Pad Nation or LA Bachelor. You can see the show live there as well. I want to go to my next guest. Of course, he is a, a co-host of a show that airs on the Bachelor News Radio Network uh, on Tuesday evenings, um, 6 p.m. Eastern time at uh, blogtalkradio.com, the Bachelor News dot, uh, airtime dot pro, the rebroadcast there at 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, co-host of You and the Law. He is uh, Chief Virgil Green, and Chief, always good to have you on, sir, and it's always a pleasure to uh, have you give some insight. Hey, L.A., glad to be on your show, man. It, it's a privilege to be on the uh, the show with you, sir, other other than the uh, Chief Swag. I, I'd rather be on with you than Chief Swag. Yeah, no swag. Swag <laughs> not here tonight. Uh, no. You, you, nah. you fly solo tonight. I got you. I got you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanted to have you on because, you know, you guys have been doing a series of, on uh, policing and and uh, not only policing and, and proper policing, but policing dealing with black and brown communi- communities, black and brown communities with young people. A lot of those, those things that are in, um, you know, in our climate now, uh, we just saw the decision by the city of Louisville um, to get a settlement, a civil settlement to the family of Bianca Taylor. They, of course, it went to a, a fund there. You know, it's it's really disheartening, even in this case, Chief, and I know you guys talked about it, that this this murder, which it was, took place some time ago, and yet, A, they're just coming to terms and, and having an agreement with a civil suit. And that's just the money side. And people say, well, it's money. No, but I mean, money doesn't solve. Brianna's not coming back to the family, you know, but Correct. none of these officers, none of these officers have been charged. Not one, Yeah. not even a grand jury chief green. So uh, tell me why is that? Do do we know what Kentucky or more specifically the city of Louisville does when it comes to grand jury, how those indictments go down? Because it, it she's got no justice. She's got no justice. They got some money, right? And they could do good with that, but she her her legacy is 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 tarnished. She she can't be at peace, if you will, or or family at least, if these murderous clansmen don't be brought to justice. Yeah, you're right, L.A. And, and you know, and on our show, we we've, we've had uh, just this past week we did part four of the series of bridging the gap 
between the community and, and police uh, uh, and policing. And this uh, incident that took place in Louisville is kind of really speaks to how that community is going to bridge the gap between the community and the police. And, you know, we also talked about it on the show that, you know, yeah, they did, they had a civil uh, settlement, but as you know, LA, this happened back in March and this was at the height of the pandemic. And so it got lost in the news. And then you had the incident with George Floyd happen. Then you had several other things that were taking place around the country involving uh, police officers, you know, killing unarmed black men. And uh, and so it got really lost in the news cycle. And then all of a sudden when the, the thing with George Floyd happened and then the, um, the deal of Breonna Taylor resurfaced and really gained some, some more attention, especially in the national news media. But the fact that the it's taken this long uh, for and I'm gonna really kind of speak on the on the criminal side of it, the fact that the this information was presented to a uh, a local prosecutor uh, some kind of way it it's now in the hands it's in the hands of a grand jury and for the grand jury to review all the evidence to for that grand jury to bring down some kind of mm-hmm. indictment. Really, it you know, you got to ask yourself, why is it taking so long, L.A.? It, the fact that the criminal side of it is taking even longer. Now, you would kind of expect that the civil side would take longer because it involves some kind of monetary damages that the sides are going to have to come to some kind of agreement. But they came right. to an agreement on, a, on the civil side before they came to an agreement on the civil side. And most – naturally, you have a criminal – element that is decided before the civil side has has taken place but uh, so do we know if what's the deal with the grand jury in that town do do we know why did, you know they haven't been brought up and is it that hard to to you know convene a grand jury in, in these type of situations well and you know and and I, one of the things and not really just you know, and, and I'm speaking on knowledge of how grand juries work and how the court system works. And, you know, as you know, a lot of court systems have been closed uh, because of the deal with, with COVID. And so they uh, there's been some delay in, in, in court systems being open, and that's, that's just been nationwide. And so I think that may have contributed to the delay, but there again, this was a matter that took uh, a young lady's life, and it, to me, that should have expedited the local prosecutors if they were going to say that they could not um, present the case. Then the attorney and the attorney general for the state has actually came step in and said that they were going to review this and bring it to a grand jury. So. Um, there's a lot of questions as to why this evidence is taking so long to get into the hands of people who can decide that all these officers that were involved in this no not warrant uh, should be held accountable for, for her death. You've only had one officer who I, I think either he was fired 
but all the other officers are still working. But that is just something that, um, LA, there's a lot of questions as to why it's taking so long in the state of, in Louisville for this to happen. Right. Talking with uh, Chief Virgil Green, he's a co-host of uh, You and the Law, uh, airs here on the Bastion News Radio uh, Network um, and WCOM in, in Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina. Uh, it, it, it's a couple of things. So it, I believe, is there the, the prosecutor or the attorney general is black? Is the prosecutor black or the attorney general? No, I can't remember the attorney general case. is, yeah. Yeah, okay. the Attorney General okay. is uh, is black. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right, and, yeah. He, and he's been saying he's going to be bringing these charges, and nothing's been happening. But go ahead. Well, and I think what he said was that he was going to present it to uh, call a, a grand jury in, and and you know, like sometimes you know, for the listeners, some you know, to kind of be a little bit knowledgeable of how the criminal system works, especially with grand juries. Every state is different, and they may have a grand jury that only is convened uh, throughout certain times of the year. So in in Kentucky, they may have uh, their system is where this grand jury doesn't reconvene until, I would say, we're in September. Maybe they didn't convene until August. Uh, uh, And so maybe maybe that has something to do with it being – uh, so long before it gets in the hands of a grand jury, but you know this is also something that you have to you know the same thing happened up in Wisconsin, where the attorney general came in and 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 I don't want to just use the words he took he took it over, but the the attorney general in Wisconsin came in and uh, got involved in the situation up in Wisconsin. So uh, again. Obviously, Kentucky may have different uh, procedures that they have with how an attorney general can come in and take over a case uh, versus the district attorney or that prosecutor referring that case to the uh, attorney general's office. But, you know, here's the thing, and this is why I wanted you on. Uh, and I want to make sure we get this before we get out of time. And, and folks, you can chime in at six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. You can uh, hit us up on uh, Facebook at Pad Nation or in the uh, chat room on Blog Talk um, it, with your questions or comments. So you and and Chief Humphrey are two African American police chiefs, and your show deals with. Um, proper policing, calling out the bad cops, calling out the racist cops, calling out all of those things that lead to our demise, people who look like us. You have a um, attorney general in that situation um, with the pressure of doing this. Um, and some of these cases, and even if they're not African-American, but I want to focus on that, and some of these cases you have Black law enforcement that's not speaking up or speaking out. I mean, they damn near they ain't doing anything. Yeah. To be honest, yeah. uh, Chief Green. Um, yeah. And as much as we can say and complain about the deaths, the slaughters, which get killed on the streets like animal by these Klansmen with badges, as much as we can say that, um, they have enablers. Enablers that look like us. And so 
uh, I've been saying this. You you know I've said it. I said it to you guys on your show, my show. Um, when are we going? When are the guys that look like us and ladies that look like us going to step up and do the right thing? I know some have. You look at social media, you see some stuff now, but it's not enough. It doesn't seem like it's enough. And we talked off the air about this, uh, Chief Green, that it's got to be. It's going to start with people looking themselves in the mirror. Now, before you answer, I'm not here to take any money out of anybody's pocket or tell them that they have to do anything. But at the end of the day, for me, I have to look myself in the mirror, right? Whatever it is, I have to look myself in the mirror. There has to be some moral compass. I'm not standing on it. I'm not perfect. But people are dying. They're killing us like we just it's, and then they and then they just fear for the life. That's the thing. We getting all the people getting all upset about these these damn cops in in California that got shot at and 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 shot. And I, I'm not saying it's right, but America goes crazy when cops get killed. America doesn't say much of anything when us when we get killed like somebody just swatting a fly every day. And it starts with people that look like us, Chief Green. Yeah, you're absolutely right, L.A., and and it's something we've talked about, you know, like you said, off air and on our show, and and me and uh, Chief Humphrey, we've talked about it as well as the fact, how does that, um, how does that culture change where police, where black police officers are, are speaking out against um, the the things that they see within their departments, uh, because it, it definitely happens, and and one of the things that I'll share with you and the listeners, L.A., is that, you know, and, and this is not to make excuses or to, you know, kind of, you know, say, well, this is why this happened. But we are uh, we are minority in this profession. And a lot of police departments around the country uh, may have a handful of police officers. Uh, and so for them – Obviously, they have to 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 be very cautious of what they say, how they say it, because they could be, uh, you know, blackball, or they could be find themselves in a situation where they may find themselves unemployed. And that actually happened recently with with the police officer who came out and spoke out against some things that was going on, and he he's no longer with that agency. So it, it doesn't. Um, but again, we we need to have organizations such as, you know, we have been members of Noble, which is the national organization of Black law enforcement executives, and Noble right. has, has really came out and 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 sent out some strong um, uh, messages to the Department of Justice and released several press releases when things like this here happen, especially with George Floyd and Breonna Taylor. And and sure. uh, the incident that ha- happened up in uh, Wisconsin, they have came out and publicly uh, condemned the actions of the police officers. So you have one of the, you know, Noble is not a a, a union organization; it's just an an, associ- an organization that is for executives, uh, police chiefs from around the country, and and what it, that's uh, on your federal, uh, local, and state and and county executives. And so Noble has a very powerful voice uh, within the, the criminal justice system. So one of the things, L.A., is that we definitely have to utilize our voices more and and let that be heard. And the simple fact that if you don't say anything, 
you're just a part of the problem. You're not part of the, of the solution. So, uh, and that's something I've said throughout my career as a police chief that, you know, when you see wrong, you have to uh, address it. And uh, whether, you know, the other peers, your white officers don't like it or they kind of, you know, exclude you. Well, you know, I'm here to say that we're already a minority in, in this profession and the simple fact and, that we don't get the same respect and, and recognition. And let me say this too, uh, Chief, and again, I never say all. I mean, everybody has to do their own thing. I I mean, it's it's totally different. I'm never going to put my situation on a level of, of policing, but you know, I've been in situations where I've spoken out and lost my job or lost my situation. But for me, it starts with faith. You have to believe that it is, you know, you know, the man upstairs is going to take care of you. For, that's for me. Right. So mm-hmm. it starts yeah. there. And then, and so here I am doing my own network. Right. So I don't have to, I don't give a damn what they say now. I don't have to, because I control yeah. my own, mm-hmm. you know what? So yeah. I guess, <laughs> It sounds like you're saying you got to be the head, you know what, in charge before they speak out. Because, like I said, the thing is, that, I mean, it's just I I just feel like it, it. And you know, black law enforcement is in a tough position because they're either too too blue for for black people and not black enough in some cases, you know, or not blue enough in some cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, President Obama. You know, he could have pushed universal health care, but he wanted to play nice with the Republicans, think they were going to do something. And at the end of the day, they still call him a nigger. Michael Jordan got a bunch of money. He's still a nigger. Like they still, you can't win. You can't win. Just like when we're, just like when, Chief, we talked about this, when we're driving, they kill us, we put our hands up. We keep our hands down, they kill us. We get out of the car, they kill us. We stay in the car, they kill us. You can't win anyway. So you might as well go with the gusto. You might as well go ahead and flow with it. Um, that I mean, that's just my opinion, right? And then at the end of the day, yeah. your conscience is clear and and all is well, right? Yeah. And, and, and you know, you're right, L.A. And one of the things, and we talked about this uh, on our show, and you and I, we've talked about it. You know, several months ago, there was a, a video that uh, a black female um, officer put on uh, on on her social media that has gotten, you know, man, thousands of millions of views by now. Uh, she was a federal officer on her way to work one morning. And I want to say somewhere in, in, in Georgia or somewhere. And she got pulled over by a County deputy. Um, you know, he didn't even respect her uh, enough to, uh, she wasn't speeding, but she ended up getting a warning citation the whole thing, it, it just really brought trauma to her. Now, she was in uniform right. right? in her personal car. He's in uniform. But I guarantee you, if that had been uh, another white officer, female or male officer, he wouldn't have put her through what he put this black female officer through. And, and right. that's why it, it comes down to respect. And, uh, and oftentimes you you may have a black officer who pull over a white officer and it's total respect, but you don't always get that same respect on the other side. And some people 
listening may 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 disagree and say, well, no, that that may not happen. But I guarantee you that this happens more than we know. And the only way we knew about this situation, in L.A., was because she shared it on her social media on her social media Facebook page. And right. and the fact that it upset her so much, and the fact that she made a, a very uh, a, a point, L.A., is the fact that she had a weapon in her center console. If she would have reached into there to get uh, some kind of documentation out of insurance or whatever, he saw that weapon, he could have basically easily said, oh, well, she reached in there to get a gun. I didn't know, even though she's in uniform. But come on, man. When do you not respect another? I don't care what race you are. We we everybody hollers this this blue wall. Well, oftentimes black officers are not on that on that blue wall. You're on whatever side they want you to be on, but you're not on the blue wall with them. And so that's when you know, we get and, into this conversation. <laughs> Go yeah, ahead. and real quick, I got an email from someone. See, the people don't. First of all, they don't listen. Second of all, um, well. The emailer said, you know, you can't ask black officers to put their livelihood on the line. Well, I started with, if they listen, emailer, I said, I'm speaking for me. This is how I see it. I said, I can't speak for everybody. Everybody has to look themselves in the mirror. So this emailer is probably the same type of person, right, that will stay in in the, in the system that thinks it's all is well if we keep complying, if we keep doing this, and eventually we'll get this. It, it, and it's not working. Just put the black officers aside for a second, Chief Green. The, the mentality of some of our people, though, uh, Chief Green, is the fact that uh, if I just stay in my, my zone, um, uh, you know, I'll be fine. I can't. That's Chief Green's problem. That's L.A. Bachelor's problem. I'm not going to get involved. I got my house. I got my car. I got to take care of my kids. I work my nine to five, got my lunch every day. I don't want to get involved. And then, so you're not really in the discussion, emailer. You, to me, they're not in the discussion because they're, they're, they're just pushing it that way anyway. Yeah, and, and, and I'll say that to the person who sent that to you, uh, L.A., is the fact that, you know, ask yourself this, you know, when you say you don't want to put the black officer in a situation where he may lose his livelihood. So are you saying that if a black officer pulls up on a traffic stop with a, with a white police officer and that white police officer uh, is starts to um, uh, verbally um, – say things that is uncalled for. And then the next thing you know, this person is, is, is laying face down on the ground and you're just going to stand there and not say anything. Well, let's say uh, this person gets arrested and you know, it, it's just a bogus deal, man. It, this officer just is totally abusing his powers and, and authority. And so you, you may be a five-year officer or a 10-year officer and you, go to your supervisor and you and you make this known to your supervisor. Well, then they do an internal investigation and now it comes out, hey, you're the one who who went in and complained on, on your fellow officer. Well, so now don't nobody want to have anything to do with you. Then you put on the midnight shift and then next thing you know, you you're concerned. But at the end concerned about, you know, how how is this going to look between all the other officers I work with. 
But, Ellie, I have to say that at the end of the day, man, you have to have a your conscience and your respect level because if that person did not deserve to be pulled out of a car, put face down on the ground, to be arrested for something that typically you wouldn't have been arrested for, and you just stand and don't say anything because you say, well, if I say something, I'm in fear that I'm going to lose my job. Well, now you just become a part of the problem. So once you witness it one time, then that White House is going to say, well, I mean, man, he sit there and he watched me do it. This doesn't happen many other times, so why do you want to say something now? So now you you are almost just as guilty as the officer who did it. And so, right. you know, even as a police chief, <laughs> you know, I've been in situations where, um, you know, I have a no tolerance for nobody is above the law. And right. when you go after public officials, elected officials, uh, my position has been put in jeopardy because I went after public officials who felt like just because they were an elected city council person that they could do whatever they want to do. And I said, no, everybody has to follow the law. The law says this. Well, if you lose, if, if you lose that position over it, you're doing the right thing. But at the same time, yeah, we all got to live. But at the, at the end of the day, I want to make sure that when I look at myself that I know I did the right thing, that I wasn't just a part of the problem. And I just ignored the problem because guess what? That same officer that you ignored the problem, he chased out to somebody and shoots somebody, and you know it's, it's, not, it's not right. What are you going to do then? Are well, you gonna and I got well? my – and I, I got my next guest on the line, but I, I want to ask you one last thing because you have, if you got Klansmen with badges on the street killing people, you have the Grand Dragon in the in the White House occupying it there, so they're going to follow his lead. Um, and and this this it, it seems like there's some dismay with officers. I guess my thought is that. A, they're not going to accept you anyway, right? So if they're not going to accept you, why not just do the right thing? You're still exactly. not going to be in there. And, and then how do you overcome uh, this union? The, the, I'm finding out between you and and Chief uh, Humphrey that the this police union is the most powerful union, it seems, in the country. How do you get past any of this stuff? Well, it, it it is, L.A., and, and there's times in, in the union, you can be, a black police officer can be an FOP card-holding member, and I guarantee you, if there's some people that's within that union who do not like that officer, they're not going to represent that officer as the way that they would represent another uh, officer. So, you know, just because you're a part of the FOP doesn't always mean that you're guaranteed the same privileges and the same representation uh, that they're going to afford to anybody else. And I want to make this clear to, to the listeners that, you know, <clears throat> I'm a black, I'm a black man, but I've seen these things and not just have heard these things, but I've witnessed them. And so when you know that these things are occurring, it's just not, it's not an isolated incident in LA. This is something that's occurring throughout policing across America and the simple fact that the majority of our police departments across the country are are small agencies that have under 50 police officers and those agencies don't have any minority officers working for them but the population that they patrol are 
are a large minority population. So, you know, again, we are a, a group of minorities that's in this profession. You, you got to love it to be in it uh, and, and be in it to, to try to make a difference. And that's the one thing that, that I want to stress is that when you get into this profession in L.A., you want to get into it to make a difference. You're not into it for the pay. You're into it to make a difference in the community that you serve. And if you see something that's wrong, if that means you got to lose your position, obviously you got to make that choice. But the thing of it is, is the fact that other people in your community, they're looking up to you to do the right things. So we got a lot right. of police officers out here who they are finally slowly coming out saying certain things, but you got to look at the, just the past history and the culture LA of policing and the fact that right. black police officers have been a, a non voice when it comes to um, trying to make things right within their police departments. Absolutely. And as you know, I have a nephew that just joined the police force in a predominantly white area. And um, everybody that knows me knows that I'm concerned about him just in the climate. I mean, it just uh, being a black law enforcement person, it's, 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 it's gotta be challenging, you know? And so, um, it, it, we it, continue it, to, to to discuss this. Uh, I, I got to run, but um, I just want to okay. uh, plug plug your show again on Tuesday nights. You and uh, Chief uh, Green, uh, Chief Humphrey, uh, you and the law it airs every Tuesday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Every Tuesday, 7 p.m. Eastern time at BlogTalkRadio.com. The rebroadcast is on 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern at the Pro. Chief Green, be safe. Love you, bro. And uh, we'll talk with you next week, sir. Okay. Have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Thank you. Just yeah, it's just it goes on and on and on. I got a, my next guest uh, coming up, but I mean, we we can't win. We we comply, they shoot us. We don't comply. We run. We don't run. They kill us with kids in the car. Brianna Taylor just went in her house and shot her up. She still didn't get any justice. It just goes on and on. And then some of us are, are zombies. We just it's okay, you know. Uh, and we got this uh, this this uh, demonic evil person in, in the White House, and he's stirring the pot. But uh, I digress. Take a break. Get to my next guest uh, on the line. It's the Bass News Radio Show on the Bass News Radio Network, WCOM Chapel Hill, uh, North Carolina.
Welcome back to the show. Thanks to Chief Green. Again, the uh, the show is You and the Law. Here is every Tuesday evening on the Bassett News Radio Network, the, um, the rebroadcast, I should say, 4 a.m. and 6 p.m. Eastern Time at the Bassett News Airtime. That pro and uh, another programming note, you can uh, check out uh, the uh, love songs this evening when we get off here. You can go there from 8 to midnight. We play those songs 8 to midnight at the Bassett News airtime.pro. I'm going to bring in my guest patiently waiting on the line. I appreciate his patience. Always good to have him on, and we don't get him on enough, in my opinion. But um, he is uh, definitely a, an award-winning sports writer and author. He spent over 40 years, four, four decades with the uh, Chicago Tribune, and he uh, now is an adjunct professor of journalism at DePaul University. He is uh, Fred Mitchell, and uh, Mr. Mitchell, it's a pleasure having you on, sir. Always my pleasure, L.A. Good to, good to be with you. Thank you, sir. I want to get your thoughts before we kind of talk about uh, those Chicago teams on uh, these these athletes that took a stand. First of all, big ups to the WNBA. They don't get any credit. The ladies did it first, but they did, nobody wants to talk about that. They want to talk about the NBA. But uh, we we were just talking about how this society is the climate with the policing and, and all of those things and being black and, and we being an endangered species, all of that came out on the, the, the court and on the field and continues because of that and the inequality, whether it be housing and jobs and everything else. Um, how powerful in this climate is the black athlete? I mean, we've seen, uh, you know, uh, the Muhammad Ali's and, of course, the uh, Luau Sinders before he was Kareem and Jim Brown and all of those guys. They stood up. And, again, look at yourself in the mirror, deciding, do I want to do this? Do I want to stand out and step out on faith and, and, and stand for justice and I may lose something, Colin Kaepernick? Or do I want to keep being Michael Jordan with all due respect, which may throw some money at it, but won't verbally or commit to it. So how strong, how powerful, especially the the younger LeBron type of athletes, are they, these black athletes, in bringing forth change and and bringing forth the awareness that makes the change? Well, I I would like to think that they're they're making a a difference. Uh, It's certainly not as as quickly uh, done as we as we would like, but at the very least, it's bringing attention to the issue. And there there are so many uh, people who do not grow up and 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 live the life of uh, African Americans or other minorities, and sure. r- really don't don't have any idea of what that means. Uh, I don't care how much money you make or how much uh, uh, notoriety you have from, from being a star athlete uh, or anything. Uh, it, the bottom line is that, that you're a black person, a black man, uh, in most instances, who are treated disrespectfully. Uh, so from the standpoint of bringing uh, attention and hopefully education to people who've lived in a sort of a bubble, shall we say, and don't realize uh, the indignities that uh, minorities uh, have to put up with on a, on a regular basis. 
it's a, it's a good thing to to have that done. Uh, I teach a class now, uh, LA at DePaul University called Sports, Media, and Society. And in that course, uh, I had my students examine uh, sports stories and athletes and, and what happens uh, to them off the field, uh, societal issues, if you will. So uh, racial injustice, uh, uh, all, all sorts of things that, that happen, obviously, as a result of COVID-19 right now. There's untold number of stories like that that uh, show how people are affected. So to answer your question, uh, it, it's a start starting point to – have these boycotts and, and have these uh, statements made by the prominent athletes. And it's also very powerful, perhaps as powerful when white athletes who are teammates and opponents of some of these African-Americans who, who witness what, uh, what they go through and have a sort of a brotherhood or sisterhood uh, with their teammates and understand, and, and I've heard the stories uh, of not only what they went through, but maybe their family members went through, the brothers, the sisters. Uh, right. I think that's a powerful message as well. When when a white athlete says, you know, what's going on and what's happening to my fr- my teammates, my friends, my colleagues, that's not right. So uh, hopefully that will continue. And, you know, you, you bring up a great point. I mean, you've been in this business for a long time, longer than I have, um, and I'm, I'm sure you've not only seen it but experienced it. I, I was on a show, too, Fred, just a quick story to your point uh, in terms of white, uh, uh, you know, teammates or whatever, white people getting it. And I'm going to go to the other side in a sec. I was on a show. And, you know, the the host was white. He was telling me, you know, asking me, well, what can I do and what can we do? And he started talking about a a, a friend of his, and I used that, and I w- want to make sure I use that, a friend of his he was talking mm-hmm. with, and the the friend did a, a nigger joke. Let's just call it like it is. And then he mm-hmm. said, well, I can't, I can't, uh, you know, I didn't. I told him that's wrong. I said, "Well, is he still your friend?" And he couldn't answer because, see, so you 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 condemn uh, the word and the joke, but you're still friends with the guy. So my point right. is, is that, it, like you said, they're, they're still in this bubble. They don't get it. And I bring it to. I say that because you had these these players that. Look, you could protest any kind of way. You could put out stuff on social media, letting people know what's going on with the police shootings and all this racist stuff, or you can get out in the streets and do it. Whatever you want to do, it's your right the way that you do it. Um, so these players are standing out there. I think it was the Chiefs in um, uh, Houston, and and the fans are booing. Like, what are you mm-hmm. booing? They're doing something mm-hmm. nice. Are we? Are you booing because they're still caught up in this flag crap? Or are you booing because mm-hmm. what are you booing for? And this is my point. And some some of it goes down to red state, blue state. You know, this was in Kansas City, so it's Missouri. You know that kind of thing. 
But, uh, I mean, what is it going to take for them to have that understanding? Um, and it goes back to from the professional athletes, even the college athletes, um, using that power. Like, I won't play. Like you, you saw with Bill Russell and those guys did. I won't play if we don't have this change. Is it going to have to go to that extreme uh, for them to, to make that impact? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's disturbing, isn't it, and frustrating uh, at the same time. Uh, I had a, a, a former college football teammate uh, that who's white, uh, and we you know we played together some fifty years ago together as teammates, and right. he called me. Uh, and to his credit, uh, he asked me for advice and, and, and education basically because he uh, and his colleagues were denouncing black lives matters, uh, you know, just out of hand uh, and just had these preconceived notions and, and stereotypes uh, soon as, you know, the word black was introduced into the conversation. So he, he called me and we had probably had about a, an hour and a half to two hour uh, phone conversation and I uh, told him some things that happened to me uh, when I was in college, racial things that were said and done and death threats, phone calls I got, th- things that he did, didn't know anything about. You know, it was not something that I uh, was happy to, to share with, with other people. Uh, you know, you just sometimes you, you endure And uh, right. so I told him about that, and, and he said, geez, you know, Mitch said I had – I had no idea you were going through that, and th- this was this is the type of conversation that needs to take place, uh, you know, between the races to to gain a, a, a better understanding of where people are coming from, where they've been. He he grew up in a uh, you know isolated situation. He wasn't around a lot of African Americans growing up. Uh, his radar wasn't wasn't up to, uh, to, to watching for things like that, uh, at, at that age. So, uh, that's what needs to happen. Um, a lot of people, you know, feel like, oh, this black lives matter, uh, stuff is being forced down their throat now because of the, the extra emphasis of it following the George Floyd death and, and, and the other, uh, issues, uh, with blacks being, uh, attacked or killed by, by police officers. Uh, but this has all been bubbling up, hasn't it? I mean, for, for years and years and decades, uh, this enough is enough, and people obviously have not gotten the message that needs to to, to get across. So uh, it's a start, you know, for me with this uh, former teammate to, to have this long conversation. Hopefully, he will have a similar conversation with some of his friends and say, "Hey." Did you know this happened and that happened? Uh, that's how that's how it's going to have to have to be because we live in a very segregated society. I live here in Chicago, one of the most uh, segregated cities in America. So you have you know the south side and the west side of Chicago is pre- predominantly black and Hispanic, mm-hmm. and the north side mm-hmm. is white, and people don't. Uh, interact uh, unless they absolutely have to, unfortunately. And that's why you have the the disparities that you have and 
in terms of services and hospitals and uh, grocery stores, things, uh, basic things that uh, everyone should have access to. Uh, that's that's not the case. So that's what, that's the yeah, heart of the problem. When, when people don't, you know, go to school together and, 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 and live in the same neighborhoods and get to know each other's families uh, and, and develop a history, then that's what, that's what's called prejudice. You prejudge people based on some things that you see on television, the bad news and the, uh, the bad apples, uh, and paint uh, a, with a broad brush and say, well, all of the, those people were like that, so I don't like any of them. <laughs> and uh, well, we get to, to know people on an individual basis. Yeah, and, it, you know, white folks – aren't born racist, but they are born with privilege and, and they need to understand that. So if you, if you can't, you can't drive while black cause you white. So you'll never experience that. So at some point you either going to come to the party or you're going to get you, we can't make them do the right thing. It's got to be in their heart. You can regulate all you want, but you're still going to have those things go on. But I think you're in a, a really good position as a journalist professor. So you could teach those things and it's like you, what you're doing with your students now, looking at those stories and, and deciphering uh, those, those stories uh, uh, in, in that regard. Um, I want to switch gears and, 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 and look on, on the field uh, a couple of places to start with the Cubs as it relates with the MLB to me, Fred, it, they, I mean, they didn't get it right. Like the NBA did the bubble, the NHL did the bubble. You you see very few people with you know uh, players that got the COVID nineteen. Uh, they're moving on. They got their finals coming up. Nothing uh, unless they're hiding it. They're doing well. MLB just messes up, and I think I feel like the commissioner felt like he had to do this, and he just didn't do it right because he didn't want to be the commissioner like '94 when they went on strike. But you, it, it's messed up. And then on top of it, you have to look at the players as well. I mean, the Cubs are doing well, and you know, in their first place. But at in in the the grander scheme of things, you know, when you look at when they started, some of these players are out in the clubs and doing all this stuff. You you know, bars they say are the worst places to go, if you uh, you know to to try to contract it, and they're doing it. So the players and um, the commissioner's office kind of blew this deal. So how do you look at this season now? Um, with COVID-19, the way it started, and if you could even, even whoever wins, can you even take it seriously? And I know, like I said, you're in Chicago, where the Cubs are in first place at this point. Yeah, it's uh, it's the strangest of, of years for so many reasons. Um, sports, uh, especially for us who, who work in the business uh, and have a history with it, to, to see how uh, seasons have been switched around, uh, just the idea of not having any fans in the stands. Uh, you know, normally this time of year, particularly with both the Cubs and the White Sox in first place, uh, yeah. would, would be tremendous excitement uh, throughout the city. And it's, it's just not there because the restaurants are closed down and uh, fans are not allowed to, to attend the games and people aren't allowed to, to, to gather. Uh, in, in large groups, you're not supposed to anyway. So it's a real different vibe. Uh, and obviously, it's a shortened season. It's not 
it's one of those that's going to have an asterisk uh, next to it at, at the end. Uh, I don't know. Uh, baseball, uh, you know, I, I traveled with the Cubs for many years uh, during the 1980s, and players have uh, baseball players have a lot of downtime uh, together uh, between games uh, on the road. So if you're if they're in Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or New York or wherever, uh, you know they'll play a game at night and then uh, get up in the morning and do it. You know, go around or even after the game, typically they would go out and, and have a beer. But you know, supposedly they're, they're not doing that now. Uh, but it's it's difficult to to ask guys who are 22, 23, 25 years old. Uh, to isolate themselves in a bubble right. and uh, and not socialize and, and uh, do the things in particular that young men would would, would want to do. Uh, so that's that's a that's a that's a real challenge. Um, the NBA's done a good job with with the bubble, and I guess baseball's going to do it with the postseason. Uh, but uh, long term, you know, it looks like this. This virus is going to be around for for a while. Uh, there's no get, getting around that. I mean, people are going to have to uh, get used to it and adapt. And uh, it it's, gets old, but uh, it beats the alternative of, of contracting it. I, I do have to ask you. We're talking with Fred Mitchell here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. I have to ask you about the passing of Lou Brock, and you know, one of the great ball players. He looked up to a lot of the Negro League football players when they when they were playing. Uh, a former Cub, as you know, they traded him away to St. Louis. He's a Hall of Famer. You know, the three thousand hits. He was the all-time steal ba- uh, base leader before Ricky Henderson. You know, took that over and took some time for that. Uh, talk about him and 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 how he paved the way for a lot of, uh, of ball players, especially at this point when you look at it. Um, you know, our kids are playing football. Our kids are playing basketball. You know, we, we're not we're not wanting. You know, my my son may pick up a, a bat for a minute, but he want to he want to go shoot hoops or throw the football. And, and, you know, I know RBI has been trying to do baseball's RBI is trying to bring blacks back into the game. And, and, uh, you know, the, the Jackie Robinson stuff, I know Mrs. Robinson, they bring them out in 42 and all that, but a lot of kids don't even know what 42 means with Jackie Robinson. So talk about Lou Brock and, and it, it, it as the sort of the, the decline of those great ball players, maybe Ken Griffey Jr. Um, uh, being in the hall of fame, uh, and Jeter, of course, being sort of the last of those Mohegans that are not around anymore. Yeah, so Lou Brock, uh, as you mentioned, you know, got his start in the major leagues with with the Cubs. And uh, I wrote a book with uh, with Billy Billy Williams uh, about oh, about ten years ago, I guess. Uh, and in the book, uh, he talked about some of his former teammates. Talked about Lou Brock and the fact that he was uh, part of the perhaps one of the most lopsided trades in baseball history. Uh, yes, it was. He got traded to, uh, to St. Uh, Louis for Ernie Brolio and a couple of other uh, minor names. And Ernie Brolio was, uh, had a sore arm, was not effective, had a terrible season, uh, and career, his career ended pretty quickly after that. Uh, Lou Brock, when he was with the Cubs, just a young guy, 
Uh, Billy said that uh, the coaches on the Cubs at that time were Mm -hmm. telling him to, you know, basically try to slap the ball to the opposite side of the diamond and and use his speed to try to beat out out ground balls and weren't really taking advantage of of all of his skills. And we obviously learned that uh, he was a tremendous hitter, uh, a premier, premier base dealer, a very good fielder. He he did it all. And the Cubs simply uh, gave up too soon on him. Uh, And, you know, he he was one of the regrets that they had to look at uh, on a regular basis uh, when they watched him have a Hall of Fame career in St. Louis. But uh, I thought he was was a classy, no-nonsense type player with all the skills and talent that he had. Uh, I didn't, you know, he he wasn't uh, uh, flashy or or anything like that. He he just uh, knew what his skill set was, and the Cardinals let him loose and let – let him take advantage of that. And he was part of a, a bygone era in baseball in terms of using base stealing as a weapon. Now, remember the St. Louis Cardinals teams of the, of the 80s, Willie McGee and, and Vince Coleman and, and, and those guys, and how they would, uh, you know, get on base, steal second, bunt the guy to third, whatever, move the guy along and, and score runs. Uh, you don't see uh, – you don't see the base stealing as much anymore. It's everybody's uh, lining up trying to hit the two-run or three-run homer, and uh, I don't think it's as exciting and it shows as much strategy uh, for the game that uh, that we used to see. So uh, Lou Brock had had all those attributes, and um, I, I know that uh, I think he had ty- diabetes and, and lost part of his leg a few years ago and mm-hmm. really yeah. really suffered uh, the last few years of his life so uh, very very sorry sorry to see that yeah i've got my next guest on the line i, I want to end though with the bears obviously they played uh one game and um this quarterback who i still don't believe in it you know he he played well it was against the lions but they they came back and won but off the court uh off the field uh the three players that probably may have a long shot to get into the, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Three black players, Lance Briggs, who played there, linebacker, Olin Cruz, I thought was very good, and, and Charles Tillman. Can you touch on those guys? I know they're, you know, they're among, I think, 14, 15 players that are in their first year of eligibility. I think, uh, to, to me, Lance Briggs may have the, the, the better shot to get in. Yeah, that's it's a possibility, certainly. Uh, Charles Tillman, I think, has a, a pretty good shot as well because he had such a unique style with, the, with, the, with the, what he called the peanut punch where he forced so many fumbles uh, when he right. uh, tackled a guy and punched the ball out. Uh, made him a tremendous uh, weapon as far as that is concerned. Uh, Lance Briggs, obviously, was, was probably uh, – Overshadowed, uh, overshadowed a bit because of Brian Urlacher's uh, presence. But I think uh, as the years go by, people are starting to appreciate what Lance Briggs did uh, individually, uh, even even more so. So, uh, and, and Olin Krutz was a was a steady 
uh, center uh, for the Bears, uh, and uh, he, he had a, a good career at a, at a, at a position that sometimes uh, doesn't get as much attention and notice as it, as it should. But he was he was a tough guy. He was a leader in the in the clubhouse um, for the Bears as well. So those those are all three uh, good representatives. But uh, I, I like I like yeah. Tillman's chances the best. I think. Yeah, Tillman, I, I, I can see that. And, and uh, Olin kind of remind me of, I'm a Steelers fan, of uh, uh, the Mike Webster type, kind of gritty, you know, steady, yes. you know. So I, I, I liked him as a center as well. Fred, it's always good mm-hmm. to have you on and have your knowledge, not just on Chicago sports, but uh, uh, beyond. Thank you so very much. You stay safe, you and your family, and this, this uh, COVID-19. We'll talk to you very soon. All right. Stay blessed. Thank you. You, you too. Fred Mitchell, always good to have him on. He's a, a, a longtime sports writer. He's a, a associate professor of journalism at the DePaul University in Chicago. Worked for the Chicago Tribune for about 41 years. Uh, great insight. He's written books. He's a great author. Uh, good to have him on. Take a quick break and bring in my next guest, uh, Ty Miller, Power News uh uh, network, of course. Uh, get his thoughts on HBCUs. We see that some of these other power white conferences are going back to play sports in the midst of COVID-19. Is this going to put any pressure on these historically black colleges as well? Ty Miller will join me alongside with Tony T. Mac, uh, McLean right here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Great day, everyone. I am Elder Janelle Strickland, host of the Life Cafe radio broadcast from Maximizing Life Family Worship Center. I invite you to tune in every Saturday from 5 to 6 p.m. Tune in, maximize your life with the Word of God, and be blessed. Only on the Bachelor News Radio Network. back to the show. Don't forget uh, at the top of the hour, if you're not on the line, it's 646-929-0130. You lose the live feed. So you have to dial into that number. And coming up at uh, 8 o'clock Eastern time uh, at the Bastion News.airtime.pro uh, is 
Whisper Softly, it's Quiet Storm uh, music uh, for your pleasure. We're going to go back to the lines and bring in uh, a good colleague uh, to the program, Power News Radio Network. He's Ty Miller, longtime sportscaster and broadcaster. Ty, always good to have you on. I hope uh, all is well with you and you're safe, you and your family, sir. Yeah, we are doing good here in Pittsburgh, man. Everything's fine right now. Just trying to stay safe, wearing a mask and uh, just washing our hands and doing what we're supposed to do to stay go. as safe as possible. I want to ask you, and uh, we'll get to Tony T. McLean in a sec. I want to ask you what I asked Fred Mitchell uh, earlier in terms of the the influence of today's black athlete with all of this climate, obviously not just the COVID-19, but um, with the police fatality and right in everybody's face, um, the the calls for justice in, in other areas, other walks of, of this country. Um, and let's say the LeBron era, how, how strong, how influential are these athletes in, in, in bringing forth change? Well, I, I don't know how influential they'll be. It remains to be seen. And, and one measure of success would likely be this upcoming election to see how many young people, how many people go out to the polls based on what's going to be happening at these NBA arenas. So far, 30 arenas, or 20 of the 30 arenas are going to be open for voting on election day. And that's due in part to the activism of these athletes during this uh, era of social responsibility. So, that would be one measuring stick to see how effective they've been. But they truly have used their platform, especially the NBA, to get their messages across. And then the the, uh, the I guess the the clash, thanks to the the dude occupying the White House, you still have these fans booing at these arenas, the ones which I thought the NFL was going to be a lightning rod anyway. They're the ones that having all these fans. You know, you saw in Kansas City, they're booing. These guys are arm-to-arm. It's some symbolism, but it's still, you know, showing us some form of solidarity. And you have the fans booing. So it's still going to – and I don't know if they're booing because they still think it's about the flag. They're, they're still – uh, I, I'll say naive to to the fact that they think it's a flag, or they're just booing because they're, you know, um, you know, uh, on the opposite side. Well, no, I think it's a direct correlation as to what's going on, the messages that we're getting from the White House. And one thing that TV doesn't necessarily do because they really can't get into the political parts of it during the broadcast of a game is they're not really focusing in on the fans who are exactly doing the booing. And that is to say, unfortunately, there's a lot of, and I'll say it here, and I mean it, it's a lot of racism going on in terms of why would you boo when these guys are standing up for equality, justice. Right. So why would you boo that message as opposed to cheer, you know, for what they're doing? Uh, because, of course, what's coming from the White House is social unrest, law and order, and these guys are doing the exact opposite. We want law and order. We want peace. We want equality. So, you know, unfortunately, a lot of that has to do with how people feel about each other in this country and not necessarily about the messaging that they're getting. 
So true, so true. Talking with Ty Miller here on the Bachelor News Radio Show on the Bachelor News Radio Network. Um, I, I mentioned before the break, you know, you have these PWIs. I, I you know, we we knew it was coming. Big Ten, they said, oh, we're gonna we're not gonna do this. The Pac-12 said it. Now the Big Ten is gonna start in October. I believe the Pac-12 latest, I think, is going to follow suit. So those the Power Five or six are definitely going to do it. Um, how much pressure? If any, does this put on uh, HBCUs? I know not to call them out. A and T wanted to play. Um, I know that Miles College wanted to play, and they were, weren't happy. I know that um, Florida um, it uh, can't get it. The uh, HBCU in Florida, not A and M, uh, but the other one, they are playing. And they're playing women's volleyball and football and everything. They are going to do it. And I had, what? quite frankly, to be honest, real quick, I, quite honestly, I had their AD on and asked him the questions. And quite frankly, I talked to him off the air. He, he sounded kind of offended that I was asking him the questions. But, I mean, you're playing in Florida, of all places. But but how much pressure is it for those guys to want to play or even think about contemplating playing at this point? pressure at all and they shouldn't feel any pressure because you know one of the reasons that the HBCUs made the decision early on was because the disproportionate number of African Americans who were suffering due to COVID-19 and then you look at the economic factor the HBCUs they don't have the TV contracts they don't they don't have the resources to do constant testing they don't have all the resources necessary to put a product on the field or to bring these young men to campus and keep them safe so for them it's a good move and I think in the long run it might be beneficial to them from the standpoint that if they play spring college football, they might be the only thing going from that perspective. And it may, it might really showcase their product at a time when nobody else is being displaying. So they are going to, aren't they going to have to reassess their schedules, I guess, because some of them playing the big money games, you you may have an Alabama and A&M, I'm just making it up, play Alabama, but now they can't because they're not, not playing happening. Alabama. It is. Okay. Okay. Well, that, that's not happening, you know, because one of the things like the SEC is playing a 10 game schedule and some of those, those games that were knocked out are were those non-conference games. So they're not really, you know, the Alabamas, the Auburns, the Tennessees, they're not concerned about those marginal games that really fund the coffers of the lower school, lower tier schools or lower division schools. They're more concerned about the SEC, the schedule, the TV contracts they have with those networks. So that doesn't hurt them. Now it may hurt the black colleges from that standpoint. Well, that's what However, I meant. That's what I. That's well, why I, mean, I said it wrong. Maybe the black colleges. How do they find to play the big money games to reschedule if all the big money games are starting to play now? Well, they only play one or two big money games a year anyway. So if you look okay. at it realistically, the black colleges, what they need to do, the lower tier, lower tier divisions, what they need to do, especially the HBCUs they really should look into negotiating something with these TV networks and more so with these companies that could fund money in this era of social responsibility or people saying they want to be socially responsible. They should look into right. say, okay, we're playing spring football. We're the only game played right now. Put money into us, our athletic programs that we would otherwise get playing that one big money game per year. So that's what those presidents, those administrators, that's what they should be doing in terms of going to those sponsors who have been saying things like, hey, we see the need, we, we, we know what's going on, and we want to fund these black colleges. That's where some of their money could come from. But certainly they would take a loss, not only from a financial standpoint playing right now, but also maybe a, a loss of life standpoint 
they put their athletes on the field without the testing, proper proper medications and things of that nature. Yeah, and I, I, I'm sad to say, but I, I feel like that's coming. Somewhere is coming, and I hope it doesn't. I hope I'm wrong, but I think it, it could be. Uh, talk with Ty Miller here on the Bastard News Radio Show uh, from Power News Radio Network. Uh, if you have a question, hit us up in the chat room or dial in before the top of the hour, 646-929-0130, or you can uh, uh, make your uh, presence known uh, on Facebook at Pad Nation or L.A. Bachelor, and at Twitter at Pad Nation 2. With that, I uh, turn the questions over to my longtime, longtime friend and colleague, Tony T. McQuay. Hey, Ty. How you doing, man? Hey, um, Tony. I'm good. What's going on? Um, which sport of the HBCUs do you think is going to, has been and could still be affected more by, this, by, by the uh, corona, uh, basketball or football? Well, no doubt it's football because um, football is the moneymaker at most campuses. Now, when you're talking about individual, you know, conferences, if basketball were not being played this year, but already the NCAA has announced that basketball could be played uh, as of November 25th, the CIAA, of course, would be hurt by that, and maybe the MEAC and the SWAC because they get the automatic bids to the, the tournament and an opportunity to play for a championship, although, you know, it's remotely, you know, possible that they would even – Sniff the championship if they get into the round of 65. Mm-hmm. But more so, I think football because of the tailgating, because of the TV money they currently get with ESPN. I don't know how much money that is, but I think they're hurt more so than any other sport right now. But they stand to benefit more if they were just to rally themselves and go after that money, those contracts right now. This is what I'd be working on if I were those administrations, or if I were those commissioners, if I were those conferences. Also, you take into account that they should really take this opportunity to say, let's make black college football one big entity as opposed to affiliations with other conferences. But I don't think that's ever going to happen. But that, this is the prime opportunity, if ever, for them to do something like that, that they could be something unto themselves to play for one bona fide national championship, which that in turn would bring maybe more black players from the high school ranks who are top prospect going to those colleges. But that's just wishful thinking on my part and, and some others. And, you know, this has been talked about for years. You know, uh, what, you know, what do you think is the one reason why this still doesn't work? You know, there was, there was talk of an HBCU TV network years ago that fizzled. And even when you had, you know, the, the, the conference media, mania happening about 15, 20 years ago, it, it, it seems as though the, the HBCUs, it was a good, it been a perfect opportunity then. I mean, I know it's different affiliations. You, know, you got the uh, Division II, the one AA, what have you, but wouldn't it just make more sense now? It definitely would, Tony, but it's likely the inability of the commissioners, of the presidents, of the faculties, administrations, even to get on the same page about that because here you have recently Florida A&M, Bethune Cookman, Cookman rather, uh, going to the SWAC, you know, um, and you have North Carolina A&T seceding from the MEAC going to the, the conference they went to, and you had Hampton a couple of years earlier. So that itself tells you there's been an erosion of camaraderie, so to speak, 
in terms of getting together to try to, you know, play this game or move toward one common goal for the black colleges so far as football concerned, which has a long history of, you know, just sending people to the pros and just a long story history of stories and, and color and pageantry, but that's kind of all being broken down right now. Thanks. You know, um, Ty, when I, I think about COVID-19 and, and where we are in this, and we might have talked about this uh, some time ago, but I think it's even more um, important now. With COVID-19, is 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 destroyed a lot of people's lives, and 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 God bless those who lost um, loved ones and and jobs. But COVID-19 has done some things in terms of bringing people together, and and sort of you know re-evaluating yourself in places. And one of the places I, I thought is is black media. We just had. Fred Michuan, you know, he's had the, the years in Chicago and at the Tribune, and he's doing his professor work in journalism. I mean, who doesn't know? If you know black college sports and and, and, and Sheridan Broadcasting Network, who doesn't know Ty Miller, right? And then you got Tony who's got his history as a, a, a writer and, and, and um, editor. It, isn't this a time that we would take because you kind of alluded to it like where you see the presidents that could maybe come out and say okay look you know let's play this game we can we can approach these media outlets and get this stuff out wouldn't it wouldn't it be good for those to come to us as the media outlets to 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 have that real partnership that we should have had way before COVID-19 even took place well, one of the things that's come out of this, and, and it's something, it's funny you bring this up because I'm along with a group now. We're in the process of forming what is being, you know, called the HBCU Media Association, Pro Sports Media Association. Myself, a group of people, Luke Williams from the Black College Sports Page, Eric Moore. Um, yeah. A number of people. I just, I just don't have a list in front of me to just run the names off who have come together. Uh, Michael Cook from the Black College Nines, um, uh, just a number of us, about 17 of us, you know, Dr. Cavill, who's down in Texas, number of us have come right. together, and we, we conference each Monday. We're in a process of forming this organization to do exactly what you're talking about, to become that black media association that can be the, the everything for black sports in terms, black college sports in terms of whether it be volleyball, football, basketball, no matter what the sport, that's what we are forming right now. That's been in the process for the past eight weeks. And once we are, have solidified everything, we will be going public with that. So that is one thing that COVID-19 has brought about because we know there's a need for And we share stories right now, but when we, once we start sharing it publicly, you'll see the impact it does have. And we're, we're actually, it's funny that you bring it up again because we'll be reaching out to people like yourself and Tony to become members of this organization. And that's what we're doing mm. pretty much like what the black colleges should be doing when it comes to what the presidents and commissioners should be talking about. And, and so how would that count work? Is it, count uh, me in. Go ahead, count Tony. Go ahead, Tony. So I was saying, yeah. count, I said, count, count me in. Count me in. Just, just, just let I me know where, where, where do I sign. I will, <laughs> I will get the information to you. Uh, L.A., you have my number, and give Tony my number yep. so we can, I can clue you guys in. And, and like I said, that's, this group has been in for the past eight weeks. We've been conferencing every Monday about 17 of us 
have been conferencing and forming this partnership so that everybody is all all together at once. And this is where and the you know, it, information will come from. We are, and it's just, it makes so much sense. We've known Ty, you and I have known each other. We know T and I, we know Luke, we've known Dr. Cavill and all these people. And it makes so much sense. So how is it just, I mean, you're going to, you know, unveil it soon, but is, is this going to be, um, every phase of media, including covering the games, uh, you know, Luke does his black collar sports phase. Is it going to be actual doing play by play, that kind of thing? What is it going to encompass? Well, that part's to be determined, but in terms of if you have a publication, if you've been covering black college sports, if you cover any kind of black college sports, whether you be a photographer, whether you be a writer, whether you be a stat person, whether you be anyone associated with black college sports, uh, that is what this is going to be. And actually, i got to say this. It's the brainchild of Trevin Jones, who we used to work together at Sheridan Broadcasting and American Urban Radio Networks. Trevin actually right. put this idea out there and brought all of us together. And he reached out to me, reached out to several other people, and this is how this whole thing came about. Trevin has his own uh, Urban Media Today uh, network that he has, just like I have the Power News Radio Network. So he's the one who was the catalyst behind this to get us together, saying it is the time now to come together and do this. So how do you think, uh, have you anybody engaged or, or kind of got a feel of how these black, uh, these HBCU presidents will react. I know he's sort of a brainchild. You don't know what it's going to look like, but how they will react because I, I mean, I, not to sound, um, uh, uh, have a, a sense of cynicism and, and, and feel like it's not going to work on your end, but we've seen, we've uh, the three of us on this phone know that in some cases, you know, uh, some of these presidents will rather, uh, have their games on ESPN at five o'clock in the morning on Sunday, rather than have it on the Power News Network prime time. You know what I mean? Well, you know that in that case is beneficial for them, and I'll tell you why. Because they're looking at the money aspects of it. You know, someone like myself who's really been in existence three years, we can't afford to, you know, work a money deal with them. Say, okay, we'll carry your games in that way. However, we always do cover your games. We cover your athletes. We cover all your your, your sports and your colleges. So in that case, it works for them in that sense. What they need to do is probably negotiate better deals because I can, you know, honestly say to you, the money that they get from ESPN and, and the networks and the sponsors pales severely in comparison to what the major colleges is get. And you can see that by, and it's mostly doing parts of the gate, you know. So it's basically they need to negotiate better contracts with them, more so also the sponsors who, especially like, you know, during this time of social unrest, you've seen so many people. Bank of America, uh, Lowe's, Home Depot, right. people saying that, okay, we, we want to give this money. Unfortunately, as you guys well know, oftentimes when people start to look for that money, it's dried up. Just like, you know, most of those loans that the government supposedly were giving, 99% bypass black American businesses. So wow. those are the things that we have to, and you mentioned earlier, how impactful can the athletes be? The pro athletes like LeBron James and people like that, that's where they can step in, too, to help support black media, to help right. people like us who are fledgling in a sense and have been doing so for years trying to make a living doing something that we love. They're the ones who can step in and say, okay, let's help these people. Let's support these people doing what they're doing because they cover our black kids from the time that they're young 
whether they go to black colleges or major colleges, that's what they'd be doing. And one more thing about the athletes I want to point out is that you asked earlier about, okay, what's been the impact of what they've done so far? I think the greater impact is going to be after the election, no matter who wins, no matter who's in the office, because there's something at stake right now, and that's the education of children, especially minority children who often a lot of them are being you know, educated right now inside the homes because of COVID-19. And in a lot of cases, these kids don't have proper equipment. They don't have access to Internet. They don't have mm. computers. It, it's kind of like a misnomer. People think that everybody has a computer. That is not the case. Right. And there are a lot the of these kids, unfortunately, a lot of these kids are going to be impacted by the lack of proper, you know, education. Not because of what they're doing, but because they are, are forced down a situation to be educated from home in some cases where they are one family household, one, one, one parent households, and a mother or a father maybe have one or two or three or four kids. And you're trying to help educate all those kids at one time and maintain your lifestyle. So when the athletes come in, they, are, they need to start thinking about that. How can we impact education? Because we're in a situation right now where a lot of kids, even getting one year of out-of-class instruction, can be far behind in the future. And, and that people take that for granted. You're absolutely right. Um, internet, computers, everything else. Um, when it comes in these communities, and a lot of it is, the, I mean, quite frankly, it's deliberate in terms of uh, some of these these uh, school districts. I mean, you know, we we know uh, what they do in the urban city, in the urban communities, as opposed to some of the, you know, the soccer mom uh, areas, I call it. Um, Ty, before you go, let people know, uh, know how they can reach out to you and, and, and follow your work. And again, congratulations. I'm very happy for this. And uh, like Tony said, we're, we're very excited for this. Okay. Well, well, you can reach us at the Power News Radio Network. Our email is powernewsradionetwork at gmail.com. That's all one word, powernewsradionetwork at gmail.com. Our website is powernewsradio.com. Com. You can also access us through that, powernewsradio.com. Ty, as always, man, it's a pleasure. I will be in touch with you off air about uh, what we discussed, and thank you so much. You continue to be safe, you and your family. All right, you and Tony, take care. Talk to you guys later. Thank you. Yes, sir. Ty Miller, uh, of course, the uh, owner uh, and the originator of the Power News Network. I'm going to take a quick break and get, uh, uh, wrap up with Tony T. Mac McQueen. If you're not on the line, you need to go online. You got about uh, uh, two minutes before you get on. You lose the live feed. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. The number to get in touch with us. Six four six nine two nine zero one three zero. If you're not on the line, you'll have to go to uh, Facebook Live, Pan Nation, or LA Bachelor to watch the rest of the Bachelor News. Radio show. You know 
Back to the show is uh, L.A. Bassett's the Bassett News Radio Show on the Bassett News Radio Network, um, and uh, we call this the after hour, if you will. It was after the top of the hour. Uh, just again, the programming note: um, as we're here live, uh, if you want to listen to some good music, you can go to the BassettNews.airtime.pro. Don't go until Tony and I. You got to hear Tony, and then you can go after that. And listen to that music, uh, T. In all seriousness, I mean, big ups. This is um, long time coming. We've been trying to do stuff like that and talking with people like that in terms of coming together as black media. I mean, black media used to come together back in the day, right? And now, you know, this is seventeen brothers plus whatever um, come together to to do the right thing. I think it's it's I think it's really good. Um, just from a standpoint of uh, getting the truth out, because we always talk about, you talk about it more than I, that we want to tell our story, whether it's sports or anything. Black people need to tell black people's story. Now, you, if we can put that together, then we certainly can do that in all phases of media, I would believe, so certainly with the names that he mentioned. Well, look. The, the relationships are already there, so it's just a matter right. of just you know whatever. But yeah, I mean, um, there's never a there's never a bad time to do this, so it'll, I I I think it'll be fine, and I'll definitely um, clear you know clear up um, time on the time. And see, you have to you know we've always made the best of bad situations, you know. 
whether you know whether it be slavery, civil rights movement, what have you. And and, and if this and if something like this, and if it takes you know, COVID so to speak, to bring something to help put this together, I'll, I'm all for it. And I say th- I think it'll I think it'll be fine. But the power of the mic and the power of the pen is so um, needed right now. I mean, we don't have to get into it, but I bring up a point. We don't have to get into the the story. But do you have uh, a so-called attorney general who compares people staying at home, being homebound and quarantined to slavery? And when you when you hear stuff like that, uh, and, and and people clapping, by the way. In the audience, when he was where he was, um, you, you as you said, Tiger, as Ty Miller said, yeah, those, those people that are booing, you know, it's a lot of races in there, but there's a lot of people that might be right misinformed in things. Now, um, you always talk about this is the age of uh, uh, intervention where you can get anything on Google or YouTube or whatever. But there are some we talk about the lazies, right? Those those that don't want to do the research. And so when you have statements like that where this moron, this 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 racist can say that COVID nineteen quarantine is like taking away civil rights they ain't have any rights by the way, like slavery, that you have to be able to, to correct that because you'll have some of us that'll say, Well, I heard Right, so the, so th- this age of being able to tell the truth, and if you have this kind of conglomerate coming together, I think is even more important in this era. Well, and see the the thing with those folks is they wallow in their ignorance, and see my thing is personally, I don't you know let's put it this way. Again, when I was younger and a little bit more uh, optimistic about things, I would try to let, you know, folks that didn't look like me understand my story. I don't anymore. And, because, and see, my thing is, you want to wallow in your ignorance? Fine. Well, you know, the thing is, we have to, you know, we as black folks, we can't be mediocre of uh, a... a um, a colleague of ours has said several times, we can't be mediocre. Right. We can't do symbolism. We have to do us. And that's not in a selfish look at me sort of way. We just do, you know, we, we have no problem doing the work. You know, we, it, it, it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a throwaway line, but it makes sense. We weren't considered lazy until we stopped working for free. And, and, I've never, I've never quite understood um, how something like that um, got got going. But that being but you know, said, but T.I., the the one thing I would say about you, like I said, the, the the respect factor is the fact that you you can you've already admitted on this show several times that you evolved, even with the the Negro leagues. You didn't understand, you didn't know about. It, you know, it wasn't a big deal that you did the research. Is that word again? You did your own study and you found out, wow, you know, these guys can ball. So they were, they're just as good as Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig and all these guys. So you did the research. You evolved. You went from one place to the other. I had somebody that said I talked about the show a couple of days ago and um, sent it out, and they said, wow, you know, you're militant. So what is militant? Is militant meaning that I tell the truth and they don't like the way I say it? 
Is that what militant is? Because if that's what militant is, and I speak frankly, then I'm a militant. I mean, when people say stuff, they throw stuff out there, T, is my point, and they don't really, uh, they don't get it. And that's where, like I said, the education and the evolution of the or, education or, or through lack, the media lack, has to happen or, or lack thereof. thereof. Right, yeah, right. Because, because the, you know, the thing is, the, the trumpets thrive on folks' um, ignorance and laziness. And it's hard to figure out which which more of of one that they have because to me they work hand in hand. We're in a you know I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. We live in an information society. If you truly do want to find out about, so, I mean, I've always taken the attitude, especially being in the media, I don't have a problem saying, "Hey, I don't know," but the one thing I will always do is. I will always try to find. I, I, this way, way, one of the I've I've always told folks the gears that I worked at the mouse were valuable because it taught me how it, it taught me something more than what I was doing. We now look. There are certain sports that I know more about than others, but. I also know that I can find out more information on it as well. And the thing about it is if you're willing to make make the time and what have you, you can find out about stuff. And a lot of, and see, while a lot of these, you know, while a lot of these folks are willing to be led by one idiot and another, and another group of idiots, this is, uh, this is this is the kind of thing that uh, happens in Nazi Germany. You know, the, a lot of a lot of when you know, it's beyond that whole uh, evil prospers when good men and good women say nothing. A lot of it is that you've got some quote unquote good and men and women that want to be ignorant. They they wallow in this, and see that's that's the thing here with. The uh, with the trumpets is that he's no smarter or no what than 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 the folks that are following him. It's just that they're you know they can look at him and say, hey, I can be just as much of a dumb jackass as him and become president. And right, we can see we as black folks and, and be just as racist and be just as racist yeah well, well, well it, but see it all it's it's it, it's just part of the total, it's just part of the whole package because like i said the essence of pre, the, the essence of prejudice of pre, and, and racism is fear and ignorance those and ignorance two, right those are the those are the two things that allow racism and prejudice to um, to to um, prosper. It flourish. Uh, yeah. Well, you you see, like, uh, perfect example. And again, this is within the sports world. Uh, yeah, this uh, radio host uh, out of ESPN in Chicago. Now he's made a career out of uh, making stupid statements, and he always gets fired and whatever. Now the other night, he comes on, and you know Maria uh, Maria Taylor. Uh, who was part of a uh, Monday night um, countdown, you know, doing her um, stand-up stuff. Uh, he makes a tweet saying, is this NFL countdown or the adult video awards? And mm. 
it's like, really, man? See, number one, he doesn't respect her as a woman. Number two, he doesn't respect her as a black woman. And number two, he doesn't respect the fact that she probably knows a hell of a lot more about stuff than he ever will. And right. again, fear, ignorance, it all goes together. Now, he lost his job. But the thing is, he's going to be re- he's going to research it somewhere else again because someone's going to give him another chance because well what well, and whatever you know. and that goes it goes back to where the power control is it it just to stay on say let's say on the WNBA I said this before you know um with white men who run this country right and this world if you want to say they the uh, you know they'll watch the WNBA and they'll they'll be watching for who's a lesbian or who I could do a three somewhere that they don't even see these women as shooting three pointers and playing the game and understanding the game and, and practicing the game. And by the way, we're at the forefront of all the protesting with the athletes, by the way. So way ahead of everybody. Matter of fact, I don't know if, you know, to me, if we're going to start talking about a sports story of the year, it's uh, Maya Moore. Now, uh, I don't know if you've seen or heard now. Yeah, it was, so, a little, uh, it was a little bizarre at the end. She married the guy, but, yeah, she, well, she but, got him on the prison. Yeah. But, you know, but, 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 see, again, I think that just, again, it just speaks to how things can evolve. You know, I mean, right. I don't, I mean who knows? I mean, it's, I mean, it, you know, look, it, it, it could play out as a great movie. It's a, it's an, it's a, it's a very interesting story. But the fact that she was a prominent athlete at the top of her career, and she was willing to, and she was basically willing to shut it down for two years, and oh by the way, she wound up you know getting a husband out of it. I mean, you know, again, it's all about that evolving. People and just just so, and just so for people don't know, Maya Moore, former UConn player, played the WNBA. Took two years off from the WNBA to help uh, a a gentleman to get out of jail, uh, prison, for a crime he didn't commit. And they wind up marrying each other. I, I guess maybe they, he got on March and they got married recently. I guess. Yeah, um, so, yeah. Like but yeah, but, but, but right. just to start, just to, you know, leaving the marriage part out, it's still a tremendous right. story. There's it's no, really good. And she put, her, she put her pennies on the line to compare to an NBA, but two, she she left for two years. Yeah. Two years, or she's not even making NBA. The worst NBA player uh, makes more money than the Maya Moore. Maya Moore, if you know anything about sports, women's basketball was I'd almost go to say that some NBA assistant coaches may make more than some of these players. They, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it just it, it it speaks to the stories. I gotta ask you this because I talked to Dr. Leon last week, and I told him I had a conversation with him a couple of days ago, and mentioning you in regards to this. And you know, you and I we don't really talk politics, but I, as it relates to this story, I'm going to ask you about it. And as you know, uh, Bob Wood, Woodward, who was one of those deep throat reporters that got Nixon. You know, exposed Nixon to the racist and everything that he was. Richard Nixon, mm-hmm. the former president, um, mm-hmm. wrote a book um, that 
the, the guy occupying the White House decided, at, not in the first one, but in the second book, I think I'm going to go on record 18 times um, on record with this, this man. And he said all these things, and the outcry from the occupier, that side, and some people who um, want to look at enablers, and Dr. Leon was one of them, right, that Bob Woodward should be just as culpable or equal as culpable as the guy occupying the White House in terms of the COVID-19, that he had this information, T, as a reporter, he had this information, but he didn't leak it or tell the press until now. Meanwhile, almost 200,000 people are dead. Is Bob Woodward just an enabler? And he's just a, the, as much to blame as the guy in the White House, or is he, I don't know, protecting whatever, or, or was it a hatchet job? What's your thoughts on Bob Woodward specifically with this story as an editor and a writer? Did Bob Woodward's actions uh, uh, basically lead to 200,000 people dying? Nope. There's your answer. There's your answer. Mm. I mean, he exposed he exposed uh, Nixon for what he was. Was he was he called was he was he called a rabble rouser? Then, see it see right. It 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 just shows see, it just shows you where we're at now because look we've known about the government you know not you know about lying to us and not telling us. Stuff and all the other stuff. This has been going on for years. You know, we, we've we've been as 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 we've evolved again. That there's that word again. As things have played out, we've seen we've, we've seen stories where uh, Roosevelt knew uh, about uh, Pearl Harbor before it happened, and and he used that as an excuse to you know to get into the war. Uh, and Bush, you know, the we, Bush was stolen six months ago before nine eleven. Yeah, right. And, Even then, yeah. And, and and we're and we're learning and we're learning more about the JFK assassination and and nine eleven and all. I mean, at the end of the day, Bob Woodward is a you know Bob Woodward is always has been and always will be more of a journalist than many of the very folks who are going after him because he right. has to. Because here's the here's the thing. Remember, he's been screaming. You know, he's been screaming. You know, when when he gets caught, the first thing he likes to yell is, is you know, fake news, fake news. So, you basically, um, and, and again, it's not something we didn't know. It's just the, the fact that he, the the story, the, the the real story is the fact that he. Uh, has the ignorance to think that if he come out and says it like that, that there's not going to be any backlash. Don't and he said it. And he said it on the record. See, so if somebody says this on the record, you know it's on the record. But then, but the other side says it's on the record. Why didn't Bob just say, okay, hey, this guy is doing these things? That the, the other side is trying to paint it out. He's just a uh, he's a hatchet job for the Democrats. Is what they're well, trying well, to put well, it out well, there. Well, 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 I mean. Who the hell, you know, who the hell is the credibility, you know, anyone who has um, tried to use the Trump administration in regards to credibility, I mean, Christ's sakes, you know. 
right, right, right. Credibi- credibility in the Trump administration should never be said in the same sentence. <laughs> you know, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, at the end of the day, Bob, you know, Bob Woodward has forgotten more journalism than most of the folks um, who are who are trying to go after him. You right. Know, I, I've you know it's it's funny. I've always said that if Nixon, if if Watergate had happened during this era, they would have tried you know, they would have made they, you know they would have tried to make heroes out of the guys that broke into uh, the Democratic um, 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 headquarters. They would have tried right, to make and a hero out of Nixon. They, I mean, and they, Ford man. And Ford might have won. It, it, nowadays, he would have spent it like he was doing something good for the country. It, it, of course, he lost because, you know, he pardoned Nixon, basically. But it, you're right. If you take that 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 time and put it here on social media, they could, probably could have spent it a little differently. Oh, they absolutely would have. I mean, look, you, you, you still have people that try to say, well, what did Nixon do that some other um, administrations do? I mean— Look, and the thing about it is, he didn't need to do it. Remember, he beat McGovern like, like, like you know, like, like the fat man at the circus. He didn't yeah. need whatever. But, but see, see, Nixon, you know, Nixon by himself is just a two-hour uh, conversation in and of itself because you know he never, Nixon never got over getting beat by Kennedy. And right. that was his that was his insecurity his entire life. Even his whole entire uh political life should I say. Here's a guy right. that broke ground with Russia, broke ground with uh China, uh and I mean for all the whatever with with Nixon, Nixon did do a lot of great things, but Yeah. And rightfully so. Watergate is always all always has been and always will be his tagline because it was never enough for him. And he literally, and look, he took that loss personally. I, you know, he never got over that. He never got over that. And remember, he did two terms. He did two terms. He was a, you know, say what you want. He was a popular president at the time he was uh, president. But he he never, you know, his insecurity got the best of him. And that's what wound up happening. I don't want to, drift too far off. But the thing is, with that being said, this is where we're at now in this country in regards to media, in regards to how we look at government or or or, or, or what have you. Because everyone wants to, you know, the, the whole thing with Trump was that he was the anti-politician. That's how they right. always tried to spin it. But see, here's the thing. At some point, you still have to, you know, the very uh, this way. I, I I use the uh, the old Confederate states, the ones that that broke that 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 left the Union and then formed the Confederacy. I have a running joke with a friend of mine said, if I ever become president, I'm gonna call I'm gonna call out those twelve states and say, if y'all want to go back to the Confederacy? Go right ahead. No, uh, no government funding, no state, no, no state funding, or what have you. Y'all are on your own. And by the way, 
y'all can have, you know, so, so, so government won't be messing with you. Y'all go on your own. But see, it's it both hands because and it did too, too. But to your point, uh, T, real quick, you know, um, it, and not again, like you said, not to do the politics thing, but uh, this this man in the White House admired Nixon, and they have similarities. They're very paranoid, right? Um, they they admitted uh, on tape about black people and all this different things, and and they they're misusing their power. Of the Oval Office, they're they're doing that, and they take stuff personal, like you said with Nixon, and this idiot takes stuff personal all the time, and and the one connection <laughs> between the two of them is Bob Woodard, who speaks to power with the the truth. He's telling the truth, and so at first I'm thinking like, you know, okay, he could have said something, but it, that's not the responsibility of the journalist. The journalists already got it on record. The the country already knew who it is. The only difference is it's not just like the, the you know, deep throat and the, the Watergate thing. Everything is in your face now with, with these, you know, the recordings. So there it is. So he's not the one who said, you know, don't wear masks. The guy in the White House said, don't wear masks. So that's where it lays. All the, those, the blood on the hands is with Donald J. Trump, and that, well, that's the bottom you line. To, you have to, you have to remember. You have to have enablers. You know, for Hitler to be able to do what he did, for Mussolini to be able to do what he did, for Trump to be able to do, he has to have enablers. You know, we can exactly. all. It's, it's real easy. It's real easy to put it all on him. And yes, he's going to get the mountain share to blame. But you have to have enablers for. For R. Kelly to be able to get away with what he did, he had to have enablers. You know, for for uh, Jerry Sandusky to be able to do what he did, he had to have enablers. Anytime you have certain things like this, you always have you always have enablers. And and see, now you have enablers within the media. Remember, the very you know, people forget when he was running for president. He was damn near on MS, uh, MS, uh, MSNBC every morning with Joe Scarborough on Morning Joe. And now mm-hmm. Joe Scarborough has the audacity to try to say, you know, he's bad for the country. You enabled him, you, you idiot. And there's a whole yeah, bunch of enablers within the media, and they're not all working at Fox. But everybody's, uh, everybody's saying, I told you so now, or whatever. Which brings me to my last it's, last it's thing. Right. Right. And and it brings me to uh just back to the sports side with the Clippers losing. A lot of people, maybe not you, but definitely me, had the Clippers winning, going to the beating the Lakers, going to the finals, playing the Celtics, Celtics down one, Clippers didn't make it. Who's to blame um in in, in LA? And I ask that because people you know, the screaming A. Smiths want to talk about 
um, Doc Rivers' record. He, you know, he lost a couple of game sevens, and he's, you know, in in uh, uh, L.A. He lost in Orlando and all this other stuff. Right? No, hold on, but let me finish. Let me finish. Let me. No, no, no. Let me finish. Hold on. Let me finish. Let me finish. No, let me finish. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm not. Let me finish my point. No, I'm not listening. Let me make my point. Let me point. He talked about he. Right, no, but he also, but people have also talked about um, Kawhi Leonard. He didn't, so I'm bringing these people up. Kawhi Leonard should not be in anybody's conversation about who lost. I don't care how bad he shot, and here's why. Kawhi Leonard is a two-time MVP champion. Right, he 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 won it in San Antonio. He won it in Toronto. He's the reason why they even got to the point they got to in the NBA playoffs this year. And when you have that reputation, and I'm bringing this up because Magic Johnson said Kawhi Leonard and um, uh, uh, what's the other guy uh, it, it choked uh, uh, Paul George Paul choked, Paul George. and and the, yeah, and the Lakers will always be number one, and not the Clippers. How dare he bring up Kawhi Leonard? Kawhi Leonard is on his is on his plateau. You could talk about Paul George if you want. But and, and the magic happened. I don't even like magic anyway. Full disclosure. Well, but and how do you even team. bring up Kawhi in that in that uh, conversation? Uh, 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 L.A. Uh, you do remember what team he played for in his career, right? Right, I know that. But he's an arrogant well, that's, 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 sob. Why are you? Why are you? Why, why would you? Why are you surprised? Because on, he man. always attacks. On, he always attacks the wrong people. That's why. Well, that, and I get tired well, again, of Magic again, doing it. But see, again, but see, again, why do you keep listening to him? I'm talking about the fact that he brought it up, and he brought up the what, the, the fact of Kawhi Leonard. You still listen to him. You right. still look at him. You still look at him as being in, wow. Why? I could give a damn what Magic or Stephen A. said. They all have their own agenda, especially Magic. Magic's a Laker guy. What do you expect him to say? He's protecting this, you know. He's like he's doing the commercials. He's protecting the. But house. Magic doesn't just Magic just doesn't talk about Laker Clipper. He talks about everybody. But even more so with this, of course he's going to do that. Come on now, don't be surprised. Are you really surprised? This no, I'm very. I'm not surprised. I'm disgusted. I'm disgusted about it. Yeah, but look, look, look. Again, first of all, you know, I, I got I got to read, you know. This is one of the reasons why I don't do pre- and post-game shows. I watch the game because, look, at the end of the day, you know, everybody's going to blame everybody and all the other stuff. Now, I will say this. This was probably the worst moment in, uh, in L.A. Clipper history because everything had been building up to this. This is something that the, that the franchise as a whole, I mean, the sad thing now, we know in NBA history that you have to that that the road to winning a championship, you have a dev- you have to go through a devastating defeat. You have to go through a devastating loss before you're able to get that championship. But the thing with the Clippers is that the Clippers have basically turned that into an art form. Everything exactly. about the Clippers has always been death and destruction. You know, and this was even and this, this, and this, and see, the fact that they blew the three-one lead and had the chance 
to get to the uh, Western Conference Finals and possibly get to the finals, it's, you know, this was everything, you know, this was this, this was everything that every, you know, Clipper fan who's, you know, pissed on a Lakers jersey wanted. <laughs> and they, and they, and, 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 and they failed horribly. Now, will they fire Doc? I wouldn't. It, it doesn't surprise me, and and I think and I think if if there's a certain organization in a in South Philly, it's smart to jump on him two hours after they fire after he gets fired. 